from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. With gymnastics wrapping up their run with a fourth place finish at the NCAA Championships, yet another sport leaves the Gator calendar as the athletic season begins to wind down. But there's still a lot of ground for us to cover here on the official podcast, The Gators, and today we'll cast a wide net by recapping a banner weekend for softball with head coach Tim Walton, preparing for lacrosse's senior day with goalie Mary Sean Wilcox, and much more. To get us started, we sat down with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry to discuss the gymnastics squad's pursuit of the four-peat. You know, number two in the country, they go out there, they finish fourth. Uh, they were the second high point team on the on the first day in the semifinals. They were in the first session. Oklahoma had the highest point total. So it was going to be tough for them to win that, I think. This particular lineup, and just talking to Jenny Rowland and Rhonda Fain, who was also there, the former coach and three-time national champion, they needed to score in the top half of the lineup in their events, and maybe not as deep as in years past. And it caught up with them. They end up finishing fourth. But, you know, fourth in the country and a loaded gymnastics field, that's certainly nothing to sneeze at. They had a, a wonderful run. And then, uh, of course, to see a tremendous crowd there and uh, tons and tons of Gator fans out there. It was kind of cool to see uh, Bridget Sloan wrap up her career. And obviously, when you think about her, you really think about one of the best University of Florida athletes over the last decade. For Bridget Sloan, the accomplishments are unbelievable. Even if you look at what she did before she came to college, yes. being an Olympian. So, her legacy here is, as you said, is up there with some of the greatest Gators, not just in gymnastics, but really of any sport. Yeah, and let's rewind to your point. I mean, this is a girl who uh, has been doing gymnastics. She was three. She's 23 now. In gymnastics, you take this elite track, and then you decide where you want to jump from. You want to go elite to international elite, or you want to pursue something different. Alex McMurtry, Bridget Sloan's teammate, was on an elite and international elite track and decided she wanted to go to college. Bridget Sloan did both. I was talking to Rhonda Fain afterward, and it's just, it's so rare to compete in the Olympics and to keep your motivation, to keep your competitive fire. You know, she comes here and she leaves after four years as the only gymnast in University of Florida history to be a 16-time All-American. She was a five-time All-American this year in all four events, plus won the All-Around Championship at her final meet. And you know, I was standing right there, or excuse me, sitting right there at press row in her last event, and she climbed up on those uneven bars, and uh, everyone knew that the Gators weren't going to win the meet. Yet she just nails it. Tremendous way for Bridget Sloan to go out, very worthy, and uh, you know, you're the voice of the, of the University of Florida softball team, Adam. I mean, I think Bridget Sloan, you know, think Lauren Hager, these are iconic female athletes in University of Florida history, and I think everyone will remember Bridget Sloan for the last four seasons and all the hardware she brought here and the smiles and the cheers she brought during those gymnastics meets at the Odom. You mentioned talking to Rhonda Fain, who was there and now watching the meet as a spectator as opposed to the coach of the three-time defending champion. What was her perspective a year later being back there and watching the Gators compete? I mean, she's now the senior vice president of USA Gymnastics, so she's dealing with that international level. But, I mean, she went back for her team for her former team and she was sitting in the stands with Mackenzie Coquato and uh, watched that kind of unfold. I believe she was sitting next to Bridget Sloan's parents and she went back there to see her former athletes and saw them compete and it was kind of probably a little bit melancholy for her but uh, she was one of the big advocates for Jenny Rowland to get this job 
and she believes it's in great hands. And it was really nice to see Rhonda Fain again. But talk about some of the great coaches in University of Florida history. She was here 13 years, and she left, dropped the mic, if you will, with three national championships. Good for her. It was great to see her again. You've covered Final Fours. You've covered Super Bowls, football national championships. What's the environment like at this gymnastics championship? Because you've got so much going on all at one time for basically two and a half hours straight. You do, and it, think of the O-Dome times like five. You know, And I tell you what, the, the crowd this year was a lot bigger than it was last year, and, and I don't know what the reason for that was. Uh, Fort Worth was the site of the event. It is very, very loud in there. The announcer tries to get things fired up, and I don't know how many times you can hear some of the songs that they play in there, whether it's a Justin Bieber song or a a Maroon 5 song or whatever it is, but that music is just blaring, and the energy is really high, and the exuberance and the way they celebrate everyone, it is a cool event to go to. And the city of Fort Worth did a great job. They had this big arts festival right downtown. So the environment all weekend was really welcoming. And I've been there twice now, and uh, it's one of the more exciting events that you can have, especially for these women athletes. We can't have you here without talking a little bit of Gator basketball and specifically some former Gators. Let's start with Dorian Finney-Smith, who uh, really made some impressions this week with his performance at the Portsmouth Invitational. Yeah, it's the really the first kind of competitive combine. It's for seniors only, and it's in Portsmouth, Virginia, which is his hometown. So he was literally competing within miles of where he grew up, and he had quite the uh, performance up there. He made the all-tournament team. He averaged 18 points and 9.7 rebounds, which points third best of the tournament, rebounds fifth best of the tournament. He had a game of 25-5, and 10-17 from the field, 4-6 of six from three. So Gators haven't had a uh, draft pick since Eric Murphy in 2013. He was a second-round pick. Most mocks that I've scanned about, when Dodo is in, in these mocks, he's appearing in the second round. And that's a tough place to be because there's no guarantee contracts with that. But I think if you ask uh, Dodo right now, he would make that trade. He'd sign that right now just to get a look. And certainly he has a future playing professionally, whether it's uh, in the National Basketball Association or overseas. But good job by him. And uh, he leaves here as the highest scoring transfer in University of Florida history with over 1,100 points. So good for him. If Dorian Finney-Smith is hoping to get paid, he could probably look to another former Gator as a great example. Bradley Beal is about to get paid in a big, big way. He was the last first-round pick for Florida, and now he's about to cash in. Glancing uh, on the Washington Post website uh, on Monday, Adam, and there's a story that the Washington Wizards, they do want to keep Brad Beal, and this year when the salary cap is going to skyrocket in a lot of ways in the NBA, it's going to skyrocket even more next year, but the Wizards are apparently going to offer Bradley Beal a $103.5 million contract over five years. That would be the highest contract ever given to a University of Florida athlete. And um, what's that saying in in Jaguar? It's good to be bad. I think it's good to be Brad in this particular case. So he was a joy to cover. When he was here as a freshman, he exuded an unbelievable maturity about him. Always on time, always did the right things. Billy Donovan told me he never had one zero problem with that kid. Always where he was supposed to be on and off the court. Knew what was coming before, you know, in terms of basketball IQ. So, uh, you know, I'm really happy for Brad Beal. I grew up in Washington, D.C., so I'm a long-suffering Wizards fan. It'd be nice to see him stick around for a while. And he's had some injury problems over the course of his career. He only played, I believe, in 55 games this year. But he's a guy I don't think the Washington Wizards want to lose. He was compared to Ray Allen coming out of high school. And he may be tracking that way as a career 40% three-point shooter. 
as we finish our tour of the Gator Nation this week, pretty significant accomplishment happened for the UF women's golf team. Yeah, they finished second in the SEC, but Maria Torres, uh, the junior from Puerto Rico, she was the first UF woman since 2003 to win the SEC title. So shout out to her. She birdied two of the last three holes. Uh, she was getting a, quite a close from a, a golfer at South Carolina, shot, I believe, a 66 that day. So she was feeling a little bit of heat and I got a story uh, coming out on FloridaGators.com about Maria Torres and how she was able to hold off and win that title. And congratulations to her because, uh, you know, SEC titles are rare around here and they are to be savored. They say to be the best, you've got to beat the best. That's the strategy Tim Walton's employed to take the Gator softball program to new heights. And that trend continued last weekend when Florida welcomed in fifth-ranked Louisiana Lafayette for a mega non-conference showdown. While the Ragin' Cajuns came into Gainesville with an NCAA best 77 home runs, Florida's powerful bats and dominant pitching staff shut them down and sent them packing with a three-game sweep. But win or lose, the head coach the Gators knows how important it is to continue to challenge themselves if they want to stay on top. We're definitely not afraid to play anybody, anywhere, anytime, because it is about evolving. You have to continually see different style of teams to figure out how to get better and figure out how to improve, but also put your players in those type of tough situations against good pitching, big crowds, against great hitting teams. The storyline coming to the weekend was the team with a lot of power against the team with the pitching. You guys ended up supplying the power, but moreover, do you think it made a bigger statement about how pitching and defense trump big-time hitting when you get to big matchups? It always does. It's that old cliche, I think, that uh, Al Davis and the Raiders you know, coined for such a long time, and that is defense wins championships, and pitching just happens to be on the, on the defensive side. But, you know, and I said it pregame on Saturday, fast-pitch softball can be dominated by one player, and that one player typically is a pitcher. Um, no matter what, you can always walk somebody's best hitter, but it's very hard to hit somebody's you know number one style of pitcher, especially when she has great stuff. And then you add to the fact that the University of Florida has three number one type pitchers, and it really makes it tough to prepare. You've built this hierarchy in the last few years with your pitchers, and they're kind of staggered in class to where when you bring in a freshman, there tends to be a sophomore or junior that's there to help bail them out of tough situations and, and really make that part of their growth. We're seeing it now with Kelly Barnhill. How important is that structure to what you're trying to build with your pitchers? Well, I think, again, it goes back to the preparation on the side of, of what the hitters, not only the technology of being a good hitting team, but also the video component that goes into being a good hitting team. And then you've got the live component when you've actually gone out and done it. So I think being able to change up somebody's look and be able to give them different looks in different situations I think does help. Um, but, you know, Delaney Gorley has been a you know, relief specialist for us her whole entire career. She seems to thrive in some very tough situations for us so far. So I think that's been something that she's grown into. Alicia Ocasio has been way better in relief this year than she was last year. I think at the end of the day, the moral of the story is, is that no matter how good a freshman is, no matter how good her stuff is, and no matter how big of a competitor or how tough that kid is, it's going to take time for them to develop and mature and slow down and be able to do the things that they need to do. And it has nothing to do with anything other than it just takes time for someone to mature into being a big-time player at this level when you've got everybody's best shot every single day. For you and Coach Rocha, what's the balance there with the young pitcher in terms of when you leave them into a tough spot 
and when to bring in some relief and, and try and get you out of it. If you asked Kelly, we should leave her in there and let her pitch her way out of trouble. If you asked you know, somebody else, they might say, what is he waiting for? Get her out earlier. Um, but I think there is a, a growth process there and depends on where we're at in the lineup and what the score is and all the other factors that go into that you know, of how patient you can be with somebody um, like Kelly. Some days she's been wow. And in other days, they've done a good job of making adjustments with her. When she was in the game on Sunday, she pulled off or at least started a triple play, which you just never see in softball. Talk about that play, what that did, and just how rare it is. Yeah, you know, she had um, really thrown some pretty good pitches uh, early in the count. They were trying to bunt, I believe it was a pinch hitter that they brought in in that situation and brought in a fast kid to really to probably lay down a bunt and beat it out or, you know, hit an infield hit and move the runners around, do something. And so they had taken out, I think at that point in time, their starting catcher for the weekend. And, uh, you know, she hits the soft line drive. I see Kelly get her glove underneath it. And so I automat- I kind of popped out of the dug. I was halfway on the field. And I knew exactly what it was. The runner from first went to second. The runner from second went to third. Kelly comes up, looks at third. Taylor Fuller's pointing to second. She throws. And then Nicole DeWitt from there ends up throwing the ball across for the triple play. Uh, I can tell you in the dugout, it's just special. You just don't have an opportunity to practice those kind of things. And to see her come up and look, throw a strike to Nicole. Nicole does what she does because there's a runner bearing down on her. And then she throws across the diamond. I mean, that was obviously a game-changing play. And I think we were able to avoid any major issues by being able to turn that fantastic play. Last week, you guys were part of this very strange halted game against Florida State. It was a pitcher's duel, scoreless in the ninth inning. And then the rain comes, and they say, okay, we're going to stop here and restart this game in three weeks in Tallahassee. Can you remember another example of a game being halted in that situation and then restarted in, in a different stadium? No, I've I've never been a part of of a halted game not continuing itself um, really in a little bit more later in that day. So I've never been involved in a halted game where we decided pregame that if the opportunity had to come, we would have to move that to Florida State. So we talked about it prior to. We are playing another game. It makes sense. I mean, we don't have to agree to those kind of things. We can, you know, it could be go down as a tie because we did play a complete game. Um, but, you know, I think that we did the right thing. No matter what the outcome is of the game in Tallahassee, I think just for um, just for the statistics alone, you got to find a way to finish that game. The next day after that, the NPF draft takes place, and you have four players drafted, most of them staying here in state and going down to play for the Pride. What does it mean for the program to have so many players moving on to play professionally? First of all, you have, they have to have the willingness to want to play softball after college. And for the four of our five seniors, they have an aspiration to play professionally. We've got uh, Aubrey Monroe and Kelsey Stewart's a little bit more complicated because they've made a commitment to play with Team USA throughout the summer. So they'll honor their commitment, and then if they choose to play with the Pride and continue that, their, their summer for the Pride will be a very shortened uh, summer. Um, but as I had conversations with all the teams in the league, Kirsty Merritt's name came up with almost every single team, and we love the way she plays. We love her. What about her? And I talked to Kirsty, and she's going to finish her PT school. She wants to finish up her, her degree here at Florida, get all the things that she needs to, get all her prerequisites, and get herself in line. Now the pride took her. Um, you know, it's really surprising to her. You know, she wasn't anticipating being drafted. So they just took a chance that, you know, well, hey, if, if it works out and she can play with them down the road, she does. And if she doesn't, she doesn't. But I think the, the big key for all of our players that I've had with Monroe and Stewart, this is a really a, a game-changing opportunity. 
opportunity for those guys. They get to play with Team USA, and then playing for the USSA Pride is something different than most teams can offer in that these kids have an opportunity to be ambassadors to the sport of softball with their opportunity to play for a sports organization that has so many young female athletes playing in their sports. So they're going to do more than just play professional softball with the MPF. They're hopefully going to be ambassadors to the game of softball and get an opportunity to not only go across the country but they're also going to have an opportunity to um, be an important role model to a lot of kids. And I think that's cool. Whether they choose to play or not, I think that this is a really a, a game-changing opportunity for their, for their lives and their life with or without softball. This week in the SEC Network, they're doing some softball analysis, and they said Florida or the field to win the College World Series. Where is your team right now relative to where you want them to be to make that happen? Well, I thought we played uh, much better last week against Ole Miss. I thought we had a really good presence against Florida State. Um, I thought we came out and played extremely well in all areas against Louisiana Lafayette. So I think we're in a good position right now. Now, this is always my tricky time because of what we've got you know, on the horizon when it comes down to looking ahead to not only the end of the season in the SEC, but also finals. So I do feel like our players are, are very focused, very dedicated, we are relatively healthy. We've got a few little bumps and bruises that we've, we've got to kind of monitor a little bit. But I think overall, I think we're in a really good place and an opportunity to control our own destiny um, moving forward to not only the SEC, the SEC tournament, regionals, and postseason from there. Two or three series left at home here against SEC opponents as you try and fight for that title. Tell us a little bit about Mississippi State as they come in here this weekend. Well, I had an opportunity to see Mississippi State play on television this weekend. They had later games than we did, and it really looks like almost the same exact team that we faced last year. Some of the same pitchers, same catcher, third base, shortstop, some good outfielders. Looks like a little bit more depth. They've got a lot of players, and I, I looked at some of the players can run, can hit, hit for power. A lot more pitchers look like they're running about six or seven different pitchers out there this weekend. So a very good team. I'll be honest with you. A little surprised by their record um, when I look at their overall record in conference because I've seen this team beat people, and I will tell you that they're a very emotional team. They are a team that's going to come in here fired up to play the Gators here in Gainesville. They have a coach that will be extremely fired up to play, and they'll be well prepared. So, you know, I've said it all along. We're going to have to be able to withstand everybody's best shot, and, um, you know, we're going to have to be able to understand that you're always going to have to do that at the University of Florida. While baseball and softball have dominated the headlines among the spring sports, the lacrosse team has quietly put together arguably their best season in school history and sit at number two in the polls with the regular season coming to a close. Senior day is this Sunday against UConn, and we ask goalie Mary Sean Wilcox what will be going through her mind as she and her classmates go through the emotional ceremony. I'd say there's just so many different emotions. Um, just the fact that, you know, my senior class, we've come this far, been kind of a united group all four years. We are definitely very excited. We are very, I guess you could say sad, but kind of just ready to embrace this moment together. What's made this year's team so special? I think one of the main things is that we, a lot of times, we reflect on our freshman year, and that season is very similar to this season. We've been just 
We're doing so well. Um, we've had a lot of returners out on the field. And um, just knowing what it took our freshman year and sophomore and junior years as well to get to this point, um, we've really kind of, you know, used our experience in our hand. You mentioned reflecting back on your experience as a freshman. This year's squad has so many freshmen. What have you sort of taken as far as your approach with them and what you learned from your own experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely um, been great having the freshmen out there on the field. They've just been unbelievable players, and they've contributed so much to this team this year. And sometimes I forget that they're freshmen out there. You know, when you're out in the field, you don't know anyone's age or what grade they're in. It's just kind of playing with each other. And um, I think it's just great experience for them and just for them to realize, like, hey, we have three more years ahead of us. Be great. As a goalie on such a successful team, a lot of times the action is taking place way far away from you, and you go through long stretches where you're not doing a whole lot. How mm -hmm. do you stay engaged when you're in one of those type of games? My personal theme of uh, this season is just to remain focused and to remain calm, and just having that focus be able to last for the entire length of the game. Um, it's easier said than done, I think, but um, just having that focus, you know, the only thing I can do in the field is save that one ball and just have to be ready for it at any time. You mentioned earlier, knowing early on that something was different about this team because of how special the season was shaping up. What do you think it is? Can you put your finger on what's been different about this group as opposed to the last three years? I think we're just having a lot of fun. You know, last year we kind of got down in the season. It was rough to pick it back up, so this year we came in and we just kind of figured, you know, we have nothing to lose. We're coming off a bad season. We want to make it the best last year we have. So we're just having fun. We have great leadership and our captains, and um, we're all working hard every day. When you were recruited and when you signed here, it was still pretty early on in the history of this program. Coming from up north, what did you know about the Florida lacrosse program and what made it so appealing? When I was started looking for schools, I kind of figured, I was like, ah, yeah, I definitely want to play lacrosse, but never really knew, you know, who I could get recruited to, who I had the opportunity to play on the field with. And I was looking at Maryland, Penn State, and then Florida came about, and I was like, hey, like, it's warm down there. It's a pretty new program. And I just kind of heard a lot of girls from um, my area committing and going down there and just them off the bat having a great, successful first year. And I was like, hey, it sounds like something fun. Came down and visited, fell in love with um, the program, the university, you know, the Gator Pride. And they said, you know, you could have the opportunity to play pretty early on. And I said, hey, definitely would love to do that. It's a great program. And just kind of fell in love with it from day one, so it was a pretty easy decision for me. People who have played for this program, people around the program, they speak so highly of Mandy and her impact. What qualities do you think make her such a great coach? I mean, she's just a great leader for us. You know, she tells it to us straight. She's very honest, which is good, and you need that in, in such a, you know, great program like we have here. And she just um, really focuses on her weaknesses and tells you what you need to work on to get out in the field. And, you know, if you do everything she says, then you will earn your spot out there. You grew up as a triplet with two brothers. Yes. Talk about that experience and how that sort of shaped you growing up. Everyone always asks me, like, how is it being a triplet? I'm like, well, I absolutely love it. You know, they're my two best friends, and we actually have an older brother as well who's about a year and a half older than us. So growing up with two brothers the same age as me and another brother a year and a half older than me, you know, from the beginning it was just rough house and playing. I was out there in the field playing with them, acted like I was one of them, no special treatment, and I haven't known anything else. So um, it's been great being able to play sports with them growing up and stuff and, you know, beating them up, them beating me up. It's kind of made me who I am, especially as a goalie. So 
you came all the way down here to play lacrosse, and certainly the climate's different. A lot of those things are different from where you're from. But what do you miss the most? Outside of family, what's most notably different about Maryland and Florida? I mean, I miss the crabs we have back home in Maryland, um, the Old Bay Chips. But I don't know. It's just it's different people. It's really just two different atmospheres. We say it every time we go up north. You step off the plane, and it's just colder, you know, more of just fresher air coming off the shore and stuff. But um, I absolutely love Florida, and I love Maryland. It's tough to say. I don't know if I could rank them either way. Just before you came here, your father passed away. Can you talk about how that really shaped you? and affected your career? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was not easy. I think that's one of the reasons um, our senior class is so close. Lots of the girls who are from Maryland and even one of my roommates, Darcy, um, came down you know, and visited with me right after it happened. And from that point on, I kind of knew that we were going to be something special as a class. So they've just had my back through everything. Last season, you were a finalist for the Unsung Hero Award. Can you talk about that award, what it means, and what it meant to you to be a part of that? Yardley Love was actually one of my cousin's best friends, and she as well attended Notre Dame Prep, as did I. Played for the same coaches in high school. And I really did watch her as I was growing up play lacrosse throughout the years, um, and I got to know her through my cousin Kelly's relationship with her um, being her best friend. And, you know, it's a tragic story, but what has come from it has been remarkable. The One Love Foundation has grown so much since it first started. Um, Back in high school, we started doing some uh, Dodge for Love, you know, some little tournaments and stuff to raise money, to raise awareness. And since being in college, it's just grown more and more. We have Yards for Yardley. We have the One Love video. Um, And being a finalist for that award was really just a great honor. Um, She was such a good person, a kind soul, and she was just remarkable. She accomplished so many things in her short life, and, you know, it's just so nice, honestly. You've clearly gone through a lot throughout your career here and and throughout your life. As you come to the end of this chapter, what's next for you? What's on the other side of your Florida lacrosse career? Oh, gosh. My mom keeps asking me the same question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just trying to focus on the present moment right now, but definitely trying to figure out what to do after I'm done with Florida and done with lacrosse. Um, It's kind of up in the air. I have some opportunities to work back in Baltimore, which... You know, I would love to pursue, or I've, you know, been thinking of moving down to Nashville with one of my brothers. So just kind of going to finish out the season, see what comes next. Um, I'm traveling throughout Europe this summer with my brothers, my triplet brothers. So after that, I'll really have to buckle down and uh, make some moves. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you catch every episode the rest of the season. We'll be back with a new installment next Thursday looking at Gators and the NFL Draft and more, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the Diz.